0: If you have your copy of God's Word, if you'll find your place in Exodus chapter 33, Exodus chapter 33, as we continue to consider the important theme, Revive Us Again, and we're talking on Sunday mornings about corporate revival, how God moves by the Holy Spirit of God corporately among His people. On Wednesday nights, if you're able to join me on Facebook, if your schedule permits, it's out there also on the uh, website afterwards. I'm talking about personal revival. So personal revival is something we need every day. The Lord must revive us again every day so that we might live for Him. That's why Paul said, Present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Renewal and revival comes daily as we commit ourselves to God and go to Him. But I'm talking these days to our church in the mornings about those special times that come. They are special times. They are sovereign times. They are times when God moves among His people together as they worship, as they do their work, And there's great results that come from it. Are you praying these days? I've asked all of you to join me in praying every day for revival, not only in our church, but revival in the global church. Are you praying for someone who's not praying for themselves today? That's the job of the church during these days of disorder and chaos and frustration and pandemic and fear and death and dread. What does the church do? We pray. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. How many of God's people, oh, how many in the church today are calling out to the Lord and praying and interceding for those who will not pray for themselves? Well, as we consider the very important truth about revival today. We talk about something that might surprise you, but it's very important. We talk today about this tragic time in the history of Israel when they, when they violated and sinned against God and committed idolatry and a number of things happened related to the presence of God. If there's going to be revival among God's people, we must recognize and understand the glorious truth of God's presence among His people. So I'd like for you to stand now and honor the reading of God's Word. If you have your copy of God's Word, I'm going to read some additional verses. Our focus today will be verses 3 and 4 of Exodus 33. But I'll read beginning in verse number 1 through uh, verse number 6. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought whom you have brought up from the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your descendants I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite, Amorite, Hittite, Perizzite, Hivite, Jebusite. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst. For I will not go up in your midst because you are an obstinate people and I might destroy you on the way. When the people heard this sad word, they went into mourning and none of them put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the sons of Israel, You are an obstinate people. Should I go up in your midst for one moment, I would destroy you. Now therefore put off your ornaments from you, that I may know what I should do with you. So the sons of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the reading of Your Word. May the Holy Spirit of God be our teacher today as we consider these very important truths of Your glorious presence in our midst. How we pray that You would turn Your face toward us and that You would show Your gracious, glorious favor to us together as God's people in this place and bring revival to our hearts and to this church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As I always do, I try to give you one focal truth around which I'll try to make my comments today. It is this, and this may be surprising to some of you, but it is the truth of God's Word. When we consider the presence of God, when we consider the presence of God, we learn, as Paul teaches us, as we as New Testament believers study the Old Testament, these things were written for us as an example of those who believe. So there are lessons for us. There are life lessons about God and our relationship with God found throughout all the Old Testament. That's why we study these words. We are under grace. We're saved by the grace of God, by faith in Jesus Christ. But we learn these valuable lessons. You see, here's the truth for today. It's a very serious word for us all. When God's people... When God's people when those who are called by the name of God, when those who say they are God's people, when God's people sin, they experience the distant presence of God. When God's people sin against God, they experience the distant presence of God. I ask you today as you come to this place, Are you conscious and aware and living in the awareness of God's presence? He is everywhere. Yes. His eyes, as the Scriptures tell us, run to and fro across the earth. He sees all. He knows all. He is everywhere. God is present. Do you sense today in your life A strong relational presence to Jesus Christ. I'm asking you, my Christian brothers and sisters. You caught up in everything else? You're busy. We got a lot of things to do, don't we? We got a lot of catching up to do. One of the old preachers back in the day of the London plague, many, many, you know, back in the old days in the 1600s was talking about how everybody left London because of the plague. When they all came back, they had to get really busy to catch up on all the sin they'd left behind in London. You busy these days? What are you busy doing? A lot of things we got to talk about, don't we? We've got to straighten a lot of people out. We've got issues to take care of. I'm asking you today, how strong, how deep, how powerful, how warm is your relationship to the ever-present Lord Jesus Christ? I ask you another question. Where is God's presence among us as a people? Are we so formal in this? We've got it down. We've got all of it down. You know, what is, you know what's going to happen. We're going to sing and then we're going to preach and we're going to go and have Bible study. We're going to do our routines. We're all in our routines, but is the power of God here? Do we sense and know and are we gripped by the power of God? As I said to you a few weeks ago, when Solomon prayed at the uh, at the commencement for the, the opening of the temple of God, the building, the glory of God and the fire of God fell and it was so overwhelming, the priests couldn't even go in and do their job. Do we sense today, are you gripped by the all-present God? Well, you see, this is an important truth for us. Or are you one of those today living, you are distant from God. Oh, He's present, but you're distant from Him. And He is distant from you. Why is that, my friend? Why are you not as close to God as you one time were in your life? That's what these days are about. These days are days of discipline to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ globally. We are to pay attention to what God is trying to say to us about our relationship with Him. And revival only comes as we come to understand when we have distanced ourselves from God. We read it a few weeks ago in the Psalms. We turn our back toward God. That's what we do when we sin. And the Lord turns from us. There is a turning, there is a distance. Oh, He is there, but there's distance in our relationship. When God's people sin, They experience individually, and when we sin collectively as a church, a distant presence from God. I have for you four observations from these words today, and I'll make my way through them, but let me repeat them to you so that at least you hear what I'm talking about from these words we just read. First of all, God's people sinned in the presence of God. Secondly, God was grieved I'm using this word intentionally. It's in the Scriptures all the time. But we don't think about this in our presence. We, we're like spoiled children. We love it that God is around looking at us, and aren't we happy because we're the center of the world, and God is looking at us. We have a little grandchild. He's seven months old, and he's, he's real sad when there's nobody in the room for just a second. But, oh, he's real glad when we're all looking right at him. God was grieved by the sin of His people. And because of His grief, He withdrew His gracious presence from His sinful people. But the good news is God's people mourned and repented when they became aware of God's distant presence. That's when revival starts to come. So we're here as God's people. We know the most about this of anybody in the world. We have teachers in here, good teachers, who teach the Word of God to the people of this church. This church is spoiled, spoiled. With those who lead us in worship and those who teach the Word of God, spoiled, spoiled, this church is spoiled. We all know many things about the Word of God, but when you come to revival, it's not a matter of knowledge, it's about your heart. So here we see this tragic story in the life of Israel. It is the first great sin that comes after the deliverance of God and their salvation from the Egyptians. God, number one, His people sinned in the presence of God. What do we read? Well, I have to turn you to these sad words. Exodus 32. Verse 1, when the people saw that Moses delayed. You see, Moses was on the mountain with God, receiving the law of God. <clears throat> so when they realized that he delayed in coming down, the people assembled. Now They had him a church meeting. Boy, there you go. They had a church meeting. And they assembled with around uh, Aaron. They surrounded him and said, Here it is, come, make us a God who will go before us. Make us a God who is with us that we can see. That's the kind of God we need. We need a God that we can see. Make us a God we can see so that we'll know that He is with us. Well, we know the rest of the story. So Aaron says in verse 2, Tear off the gold earrings you have and all your wives and your sons and your daughters, all these Egyptian earrings of gold. Then all the people tore off their gold earrings, verse 3, and so He took them all, made used a graving tool, and made a molten calf. And they said, This is your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt. So God's people sinned in the presence of God. You see, as I mentioned earlier, there is the sovereign presence of God everywhere. I'm not talking about that today. Now Psalm 139:8 David reminds us if I send to the heavens you're there if I make my bed in death you are there Jeremiah says the eyes of the Lord run to and fro across the earth because the Lord is everywhere he is all he sees all the events going on in the world today God doesn't need to have an angel come give him an update on what's happening in the world He sees all that's going on. He sees into the depths of every man and woman and boy and girl alive on this planet. He sees it all. He knows it all. And He is present in all places, though He is unseen. I'm talking today about God's gracious presence in relationship to us in Jesus Christ. You see, God's gracious presence, my dear friends, the Lord said it best when He was about to ascend to heaven, I am with you always. Presence. It's gracious presence. It is God's gracious presence. It's the best presence. It's the joyful presence. It's the greatest presence. It's the inflaming presence. It's the soul-stirring in presence. It's the sweet presence. It's the power of God's presence through the Lord Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit placed inside of each and every one of us who are believers in this room. Oh, the sweetness of a relationship. Oh, the sweetness of a gracious relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I ask you today, if you claim the name of Jesus Christ, how goes your relationship with the Lord Jesus? You spent any time with Him lately? You've been very busy, lots of things to do, lots of places to go, and lots of people we haven't been able to see. How's your relationship with the Lord? The most treasured of things, the most prized thing I have in my life, though I love my wife, though I love my children and grandchildren, and I love you, the greatest of relationship is the relationship I have with the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, the sweetness of that relationship. But you see, the children of Israel said, we've got to have a God we can see. You can't be, God can't be present with you if you don't see him. So let's make us a calf. And they made one. And they sinned in the face of God. That's what you and I do every time we sin against God. We sin in the face of God. You see, the people still lived in their worldly sinfulness. They still had too much Egypt in them. You read these strange words about these earrings and ornaments. They're still, they've been delivered. You remember what happened? The Egyptians were so anxious to get rid of these people, they gave them all of the clothes and the money and the gold that they could have, and here they come. Here they come. The children of Israel delivered in the Red Sea, carrying all that junk from Egypt and wearing it proudly in the wilderness. You see, Stephen said it best, Acts 7.39, In their hearts they turned back to Egypt. And I ask you today, no wonder your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ is so cold and so distant. you got it in your heart to be in the world again. long as you've got that compromise, there is a distant presence that the Lord Jesus has with you. I didn't say you weren't saved. I didn't say that the Holy Spirit has left you. I said there's a distant presence. Look, have you ever gotten upset with your kids and had to distance yourself a little bit? Of course you have. This matter is very important. They came out of Egypt, they looked like Egypt. They came out of Egypt and they desired like Egypt. They came out of Egypt and they were thinking like Egypt. They came out of Egypt and they were longing for Egypt. And they came out of Egypt and what did they do? They worshipped like they had learned for 400 years, perhaps 10 to 15 generations of Jewish people watching the idolatry of Egypt. When you get saved, there is a break with the world that must take place. You cannot bring the church and the world together and do well. The church hasn't learned that lesson yet. And as long as we find ourselves in worldly compromise, I submit to you there is a distant presence between us and our Lord. So, what happened? They worshiped their man made God. You got one today? You might have drove up here in your man made God. Boy, you're proud of it, aren't you? The problem with it is you've got to take it back and have it repaired, don't you? You might live in your man-made God. It's all you've ever wanted. It's all you've ever wanted. Idolatry is real today. Why did, why did our dear, dear godly father, John the Apostle, end his first letter by saying, My dear children, keep yourself from idols, because idolatry is alive and well in America today. I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about idolatry among God's people. God was grieved by the sin of His people. Look at this. It's important for you to read these words. We don't know about this, about grief. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, verse 3. For I will not go up in your midst. Those are words we don't want to hear from God. We're praying, we're worshiping, we're coming together. Oh, Lord, be with us. And the Lord says, I'm not going in your midst. I'm not going in your midst. I'll just send an angel. An angel will never do. An angel will never substitute for the gracious presence of God. I'll just send an angel with you. Take these people on. I made the promise. I'll keep the promise. But I'm not going. They withdraw because of the grief of God for their sin. In fact, you read over here in chapter 32, when God is speaking to Moses, He says to him, the Lord said, I have seen this people, they are an obstinate people. Obstinate simply means stubborn. Stubborn to change. He says, verse 10, 32, 10, Leave me alone. For God to say The grief of God over the sinfulness of His people. Psalm 78.40, how often they rebelled against Him. Psalm 78 is a great commentary on the entire history of the children of Israel. Psalm 78.40, how often they rebelled against Him in the wilderness and grieved Him in the desert. You see, God is grieved when His people choose sin rather than faith and obedience. God is grieved when His people substitute other things for the relationship with Him. God is grieved when His people refuse to admit that they have sinned. You may be here this morning and say, Pastor Mike, what are you all worked up about? I'm good. Are you good, my friend? you looked at your soul lately? Have you evaluated what you think about God's presence in your life? Is it real? Is it powerful? Is it warming? Is it enriching? Or are you just a formal religious person now? You go through the motions, but there's nothing there. When the Lord Jesus was in a synagogue one day, there was a man with a withered hand. And the Lord looked around, and He already knew the condition of the hearts of those people who went to church, by the way. They were in church, and they were critical, hard-hearted, and unbelieving toward the Lord Jesus Christ. He said to the man with the withered hand, Come up here. And then He looked at that crowd of people at church that day and said, is it lawful on the Sabbath day to give life? And He healed that man. And the Bible says, Mark 3.5, Jesus was grieved when He saw the hardness and unbelief of the people. What does the Lord see in this church building today? In your heart and mind, What does He see in your mind? He sees it. What does He look at in your values and your desires and your priorities? He sees them. And then those wonderful words, those those important words that we often overlook in Ephesians 4.30. Paul is telling us, and I'm saying to you in my job in 2020, standing before you, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by which you have been sealed until the day of redemption. Grieving God. Grieving God. That God would grieve and say, let me alone. I'll send an angel because I made the promise, but I'm not going with you. I am not in your midst. This leads me to the third observation. God withdrew His gracious presence from His people. Verse 5, Now the Lord says to Moses, here's your sermon for these people. Say to the sons of Israel, you are an obstinate people. You gotta know your condition. You see, listen folks, an obstinate, rebellious person in their relationship with God is experiencing a distance from God right now. You, you need to know that. I could spend multiple Sundays preaching to you on the many places in the Word of God that describe the withdrawal of God's presence, relational presence. I covered it a few weeks ago in Psalm 80 cause your face to shine upon us. What did Steve lead us to sing? It's about the face of God turning toward us. His favor, His favoring presence is what we must have as a church. Is God's face turned toward us as a church? Yes, He's present. But is He distant and has His face turned away because we are caught up in other things that don't matter? Well, the sermon is this. Go and tell these people, verse 5, You're an obstinate people. If I go up in your midst, in other words, if I'm present with you in this gracious way, as I have been in the past, I will destroy you. Now therefore, put off your ornaments from you, that I may know what I shall do with you. Put off your ornaments. Get rid of your Egyptian clothes, worldly clothes. Get rid of your earrings and gold. Get rid of all those things that you carry around in your relationship with God. You think you can have the world and you can have God too. Because of this condition they were in, they made the calf, they sinned against God to his face, they grieved God, and he withdrew. You see, when you break your relationship, when you break your commitment and your faith relationship to Jesus Christ, you will experience withdrawal from God. Psalm 138.6 is one that some of us ought to go home and really think about. Psalm 138.6, the haughty or the proud God knows from afar. He sees you, proud man, but He's not close to you, proud man. He sees and knows all about you, proud man, but He's not going to come close to you and bless you. James said it. God opposes the proud. Well, that must be lost people. No, no, no. That's proud Christian people who say, I'm first, minor first, what I want's first. I got my own priorities and I got a few ideas about this church. Well, this belongs to, this is the Lord's church and He's the boss of this church. God opposes the proud. What did David say with, oh, with a longing in his heart in the great confession psalm, Psalm 51? Do not cast away your presence from me. Don't turn away, Lord. Don't, don't turn away. When you sin, he distances and turns. It's, there's a distance. I wandered far away from God, we sing. Psalm 13, 1, How long will you hide your face? This is a constant prayer. Of Israel when they were in rebellion. Why are you hiding your face from us, God? Why are you withdrawn? Where is your presence? Perhaps the saddest verse of all in the minor prophets to me on this subject is Hosea 5 6 about God's withdrawal. Listen, I'll read it to you. Psalm 5 uh, excuse me, Hosea 5 6. They will go to seek the Lord, but they will not find him. He has withdrawn from them. Someone says, well, I'm going to pray. Yes, Peter reminds us about the importance of praying in right relationship to God. He talks in, Peter talks about our relationships and husbands and wives. He says to men, I say to every man here, what Peter said, treat your, treat your wife as a fellow heir of the grace of God, as the weaker vessel. And oh, by the way, if you don't, God's not going to hear your prayer. You treat your wife bad, and then you come to church and praise Jesus. That doesn't fit. doesn't work. I said it a few weeks ago. You can't live bad and pray good. So I ask you today, are you sinning in the face of God? Over and over, what's the refrain with all those kings in the history of Israel? They either did right or they did sin in the sight of God. He sees what you are doing every day. He's aware of your motivation and your desires. He understands the presence of God is inescapable. But the relational presence of God is what we need more than anything else. When it's gone, there is no power. There is no glory. There is no joy. There is no peace. There is no hope. There is no fruitfulness. All is barren. Why did the Lord have to say, and He said so many strong things to the churches? We think this is an Old Testament matter? The Lord says, Remember from where you have fallen, repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I'm coming to you, church, and I will remove your lampstand out of its place. We don't want that to happen at First Baptist Church. So what do we have here? We have... God's people sinning in the face of God. God was grieved by their sin. God withdrew His gracious presence from them. But what do God's people do? Oh, this is the important. This is where revival begins. This is why I'm so urgent with you today to press this home. God's people mourned and repented because they became aware of God's distant presence. Some of us think it's just business as usual, don't we? Well, there's no really any difference. The powerlessness of the American church isn't a concern of anybody. Well, we got buildings and we have budgets and we have campaigns and everybody shows up and I guess it's all what it's supposed to be. Well, Pastor Mike, what are you all worked up about? You ought to be happy all these people came back from Corona time. when they heard these sad word, the word is this. Here's what the sad word was. I will not go up in your midst. I'm not with you in this. Oh, how we do not want the Lord to say to First Baptist Church, I'm not with you in what you're doing. They heard these words and they... I love the way the New American Standard describes it. They went into mourning. Sadness, great godly sorrow took over. And none of them put on their ornaments. Oh, they got rid of Egypt ornaments. You see the Lord said to them in verse 5, "Put off your ornaments." Verse 36, what did they do? They became godless. They had godly sorrow. Because they became aware, what have we done? We have spurned, we have turned our back and sinned in the presence of the God who has saved us, who has provided for us, who has led us day and night, who has been with us all the way. We have spurned God. So they stripped themselves, verse 6, of their ornaments. Some of us today must strip ourselves of the ornaments that keep you tied up in the world that keep you committed to things that keep you away from God and then in verse 7 I'm going to come back to this next week I'm not I'm not finished here we're going to come back to Exodus 3334 next week now when Moses Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp a good distance from the camp and he called it the tent of meeting and everyone who sought the Lord by the way not everybody did And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Some of God's people are going to pray. A lot of God's people are going to play. That's what we're going to do. We're going to play. Everything's loosened up. I want you to see today that Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments. This is a description of repentance. I want to read to you from uh, 2 Corinthians 7 verse number 11. We usually read the verse before, uh, the verses before where Paul talks about godly sorrow leads to repentance, but Paul describes what godly repentance looks like in verse number 11. He describes how the Corinthian church repented, how they they had godly sorrow for their sin and what they'd been doing corporately that wasn't right. And he says, for behold your earnestness. I'll read it to you, 2 Corinthians 7, 11. For behold what earnestness this very thing, this godly sorrow has produced in you. And then he describes characteristics of repentance. What vindication of yourselves. In other words, they sought to do everything they could to get themselves right with God. What indignation. In other words, they were mad that they had sinned against God. What fear, oh my, I've sinned against God. What longing, oh how I want to be close to God again. What zeal, I'm ready to serve God. Set me on fire again, God, for you. What avenging of wrong in everything you demonstrated yourselves to be innocent in this matter. You see, today, revival begins when we become aware that God may be saying, I'm not going with you, First Baptist Church. We're the ones here doing our work here. We will do it God's way or our way. Perhaps we've done it our way long enough. And so the people repented. And they turned away from their worldliness and their sin and confessed. And then they they went and prayed in the tent of meeting. They became a praying people. So I have some things for you to remember as we close today. This would be my way of trying to apply all of this. First of all, the happiest time in the Christian life is the closeness of Christ's presence when you experience it. And it's real. Oh, how God. What what was that that the disciples said as they walked along with the resurrected Lord on their little journey between towns? and the Lord opened the Scriptures to them? What did they say? Is not our heart warmed? Have you experienced from the Holy Spirit of God, what does Paul say? The love of God poured out on your heart. Have you experienced relational, the awesome relational sweetness of a close, deep relationship with Jesus Christ? He saved you to have a relationship with you. The saddest time in the Christian life is when you're distanced from the Lord Jesus because you've chosen, you think something else is better than your relationship with God. And that can include your time, your job, your family, your own little toys and things you want to do, or even going to church. Many others. What have you turned to? What have you turned to? First Baptist Church. Sinning in God's presence causes a distance from God. But an awareness of the distant presence of God because of our sin, it'll wake up a real believer and bring godly sorrow. If you don't really care about God, if you're just a confessor, you're just coming in here saying, well, you know, I profess to know Jesus, but you don't live like like Jesus. Well, you need to be saved. You, You need to give up your pretending and get right with God and be saved. But for the rest of us, oh, when we sense the distance of the Lord, we we should do everything we can to gain it back. Little children, when they think that their loved ones, their mama's gone, they start crying for their mama. Are you crying for a closer relationship with God? You should remember this also as you consider the presence of God that there are three people living inside of you. The one you think you are, by the way, you tell everybody about that one. You love to tell everybody about who you are, man, what you are, what you do. The person you think you are. There's another person living inside of us. It's the person that everybody else thinks you are. And boy, some of us are working hard on that. We don't want them to think we're not what we are. But I tell you, because of the presence of God, I hope you'll remember this, you're really the one who God knows you are. He knows who Mike Miller is. He knows what's in my heart. He knows what's in my mind. He knows what attitudes I carry. He knows whether or not I seek to draw near to Him and have a genuine desire for a walk, close walk with Him. He knows whether it's real or not. And He knows whether it's real in you. The eye of the Lord fast turns on you. What does He see? What does He see? So for our daily use, what do we do? Well, don't grieve God by sinning in His presence. This has been my hammer and nail today. Don't sin, my dear friends. I plead with you as a fellow follower of Jesus Christ. Don't grieve God by sinning in His presence. It's your attitude. It's your words. It's the un- unwillingness to reconcile. It's the, it's the desire for power and control and honor and All the rest and possessions and idolatry and covetousness and immorality and ungodliness. Don't grieve God by sinning in His presence. And that's at all times. And remember this. Grieve that you have grieved God. We we, we watch an old movie and we get so sad, don't we? The dog died or whatever it was in the movie. It's so sad. Look what happened in the movie. The girl and the boy. Oh, how warm. But nobody's grieved that they grieve God. Well, God's supposed to do everything for us. We're in the center, not God. Does it grieve you? Do you go into mourning because you've grieved God? Well, Grieve God, grieve that your sin has distanced you from God in your relationship with Him. I didn't say He'd left you. I say He's withdrawn from you. You know, there was a time in my life when uh, my dad decided that we were not together, he was withdrawn from me. And there there is this anxiousness you always have as a child to reconnect with your father or your mother. You know when they're not there. And some of us, when we've lost our fathers or mothers, we sense now there's this permanent separation. They're gone. Today, do you truly understand the distance between you and God? It's because of sin. He's resistant to come to you. You pray and ask Him to come, but He cannot come because there's sin separating you from Him. Repent and return to your first love, the Lord Jesus. Get rid of the worldly ornaments. What good is it? It's keeping you from a walk with God. We use it in our idolatry, these ornaments. We use it to take our minds away from a relationship with God. You see, I've asked you before, did you pray today? I can't imagine someone saying they're saved and they don't pray. I'm talking about seeking God, not bringing Him a list. And finally, thank the Lord Jesus for the promise of His presence for all days. He said, I am with you always. Oh, He also said, where two or three gather together in My name, I am in the midst. Is our Lord saddened and distanced and grieved by what we're doing today? Or is He rejoicing and glad. Psalm 80 verse 3, we looked at it in detail a few weeks ago as we consider revival. Oh God, restore us and cause your face to shine upon us and we will be saved.